0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of back and neck pain management in horses with Dr. Kent Allen. He's the owner of Virginia Equine Imaging in Middleburg, Virginia, and a founder of the International Society of Equine Locomotor Pathology, or what we all know as ISELP. I'm your host, Kim Brown, Editor of Management. The Disease Du podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Alan received his DVM from the University of Missouri in 1979, and he's been practicing equine medicine ever since. Alan opened Virginia Equine Imaging in 1996 after selling the practice he formerly owned in, Virginia, in Arizona. Virginia Equine Imaging became the first privately owned and operated equine diagnostic imaging specialty clinic in the world. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about back and neck pain management in horses.
1: Thanks, Kim. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, it's a topic uh, that is um, near and dear to my heart because uh, I have... Uh, I. Back when I graduated from school, uh, way back in 1979, and my father was a professor at University of Missouri before me, and what what they would talk about for back pain is they say, "Oh, that's asymmetry of the gait behind." All you need to do is give them a little butte, uh, rest them, and then inject their hocks, and that was treatment for backs, and so. Uh, You know, it kind of always struck me as weird. Uh, And as I went on, I found out, gosh, that doesn't work very well. (laughs) And uh, then as we got to do things like x-ray and nuclear medicine, we go, wow, there's a lot of bony pathology in the back. Um, And, you know, along the way, I'd have people tell me, well, it's all saddle fit. Well, really, because I got I got a client who has five saddles. Not one of them is relieving the pain on her horse's back, but she's got a lot of expensive leather. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, there are so many myths, you know, um, and oh, just use Robaxon, That'll fix them all. Well, gosh, I've hurt my back several times. Robaxin didn't even fix me. Uh, and it sure didn't fix most of the horses I gave it to. So, And the non-steroidals weren't all that effective. And uh, then what I learned is if you rest them, um, you know, part of the problem is they're losing musculature in the back. And so if you rest them, they just lose more. Um, So it would be like if you hurt your back and the doctor said, hey, Kim, just go lay on the couch for a month eat a bunch of Twinkies, catch up on all your Netflix. (laughs) And uh, don't don't do anything. And of course, they don't do that. They say, Oh, gosh, we're going to send you to physical therapy, and we're going to get your back strong. And, and what I learned as time went on is the principle that guides this pain management that we're going to talk about here is you have to stop the spasm, and the pain, okay? Then, once you've done that, everything works, okay? Rehabilitation works. Almost any kind of rehabilitation, even just riding the horse, uh, back doing the job that it used to do, works well. Um, But if you can't stop the pain and the spasm, None of it works. Uh, Your rehab doesn't work. Your alternative therapies don't work. Nothing works. So you have to stop the pain. And so a lot of what we talk about with backs and necks, same as in people, is pain management. And we're going to talk about how we do it because it's different than it is in people um, because we're we're not going to give horses Long-term potent opioids. Uh, we're not going to do major surgeries on their necks and backs, largely. Um, you know those things are just not available to us. So, one, what can we do? And you know, uh, uh, a saying that's uh, I've I've had some fun with over the years is is one that's been attributed. <laughs> To me, which is that absent a diagnosis, medicine is poison, surgery is trauma, alternative therapy is witchcraft, and rehab is a waste of time. So you've got to get the diagnosis. And that's always been one of the dilemmas with back and neck problems, is that they're hard to get the diagnosis. It takes uh, oftentimes, you know, advanced imaging, bone scan, radiographs, and if you're, while you can look at, say, the top of the dorsal spinous processes, the kissing spines, with a portable x-ray, you can't look at the articular processes down deeper on a normal-sized horse. Uh, It's just not possible. Uh, there's not enough x-ray generation to do it. Uh, So you need these big overhead machines to do that. Or you can look at them with ultrasound, and that is possible. Now it takes relatively sophisticated ultrasound, and it takes some experience at doing it and learning how to do it correctly. And then once you've learned that, that's the diagnosis. You have to learn how to do the guided injection into that area. We haven't even talked about what we want to inject yet. We're just <laughs> trying to diagnose something. Uh, so, you know what? What practitioners I think need to grasp is if the horse has had back pain going on for a while, and if it's you know, not getting better with just kind of, you know, whatever you want to use uh, for low-grade medicine treatment, um, you probably ought to think about doing some diagnostics on this. And, um, you know, there are people largely in Europe, not in the United States, that do blocks on backs and necks. Uh, that's relatively dangerous. And, uh, you know, there have been uh, numerous papers come out about how many complications come from doing that. And when the complications happen, <clears throat> they tend to be of a major sort. Uh, so, best not to have that happen. So, I don't block anything, I do a really good job at imaging. Um, and I pay attention to the history and and try to, you know, this has been going on for a while. I look at the horse, there's muscle loss. This is not new. Um, and they say, oh, well, you know, gosh, he's only a, a six-year-old. You know, he can't have back problems already. That's for like old horses, right? Um, but, you know, an unpublished study that we did at um, our practice, we looked at 325 horses that presented for back pain, and there was a whole bunch of data we did on that. And There were actually so many variables. It just showed that you could treat backs medically and have success. But the interesting part to me was, what do you think the average age was for when these horses presented to our practice for back pain?
0: Oh, I don't know,
1: Eighteen, twenty. Seems logical, right? Wear, tear, all that. Yeah. Six and a half.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. Relatively young horses, horses that weren't doing all that much. So what we have to change our paradigm as we try to diagnose this problem, this is a developmental problem. This is happening at a young age to the horse. Uh, and then... Then it, you know, so it's present. If you went and x-rayed this horse at two years of age, you'd see it. Um, Hmm. But the horse isn't really being asked to do that much. So it hasn't started to hurt the horse's back yet. Later on, give it a few more years, you start jumping that horse, you start doing dressage, you start doing reining with it, starts using its back. All of a sudden, wow. It's presenting for back pain, and how mm. how significant that back pain is depends upon a lot of things: the breed, the discipline. Is it a mare? Is it a gilding? You know, the the chestnut mare syndrome is real. <laughs> uh, it, it's not just a uh, a, a, a pigment of. Uh, urban legend, uh, <laughs> uh, the the young mayor that all of a sudden her back hurts and she can't figure out why, but it's every time you get on her, she's also going to figure out the default approach to the problem, which is encourage you to dismount and sometimes <laughs> in an involuntary manner. Uh, so, you know, Back pain is a complex diagnostic thing. You know, the more you can do of an imaging standpoint, you know, on kissing spines, for the deeper structures, you need either uh, big x-ray machines, or you need nuclear medicine scans, or you you need to learn how to operate a sophisticated ultrasound. And look at these structures and differentiate them. So that's the diagnosis part. Now, okay, you've diagnosed it. Okay, we've x rayed it, it's kissing spines, it's articular process, osteoarthritis. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm, as you, spoiler alert, what we talked about is that. Giving them a lot of Robax and a lot of nonsteroidals are not going to do much. Okay, buying them a new saddle is probably not going to do much. Um, It it may be part of the issue, but if there are major bony orthopedic problems going on, saddle low-grade medicine isn't going to do it. You know what will do something? Okay, what makes a change? And I've in my slide presentations, I've got. Four things I list as major game changers that we can do for back pain. And then I the next slide is what I call the secondary. And it's got about 20 things. Now, Gosh. none of them last for very long. They all work, but they all work for very short periods of time. The first group are the ones that last for a period of time. Probably number one on that is shockwave. In shockwave therapy. there are papers now published on it. It's no longer just my opinion. Um, and so it works. It works best in the mild to moderate cases, not the severe ones where they're already bucking their rider off or they're having severe pain. okay? So but that is definitely something you can do. They're widely available. It's easy to do light sedation, you shockwave the horse. And I'll tell clients, they'll come in and they'll go, uh, gosh, do I need to go get x-rays and everything? And I said, this is the first time I've seen the horse It's kind of mild to moderate back pain, uh, horse, a six-year-old horse. You know what? If I can manage this easily with shockwave, I don't need to know what your horse's problem is. I don't need all the diagnostics. I'm gonna save you some money. If, however, that isn't the ticket and you come back here, be prepared that we're going to get into this case and we're going to, in our case, we've got one of the big x-ray machines, so we're going to radiograph it. Um, so those are the ways that you approach this and look at it.
0: Today's Disease Du podcast is brought to you by Banamine, Flunix and meglumine injection from Merck Animal Health. The pioneer said for horses in the U.S. Banamine goes to work quickly to alleviate pain and inflammation from musculoskeletal disorders and visceral pain from colic to horses in your care. Don't get caught on call without Banamine. Find out more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Do not use Banamine in horses intended for human consumption. The effect of Banamine paste on pregnancy has not been determined. See product label for complete safety information.
1: So, be any of these methodologies, you've diagnosed it, now you're continuing on the treatment. So this is one of the ones that shockwave didn't work all that well. So I go and I x-ray the back. Well, the reason it didn't work all that well is because there's pretty significant arthritis in the articular processes in the back. And the kissing spine lesions tend to be from about the base of the withers, T12, back to about T18, okay? The arthritis of the articular processes tends to be about T16 through T18 and then about back to L4. And so those articular processes down at the base of that dorsal spinous process where you're looking at how that back is articulating and what allows it to twist and turn and bend, well, that's the articular process. And there can be significant arthritis even in young horses because it's developmental. So we've diagnosed that now. Um, so what are our options? Okay, And... And I've been focused a bit on back here. Um, And part of our topic is neck as well. So let's just talk about neck for a second. And neck can be another challenging area to diagnose because the owners come in and they're complaining and, and it's not real obvious what's going on. You know, there can be a lameness associated with a neck arthritis or problem, Um, doesn't have to be. Um, Matter of fact, uh, the majority of the time there's not, Um, but it can be that way. And so one of the things that you look for is, you look just simple things, go get, treat the horse likes and do a carrot stretch side to side, and is it more restricted on one side than the other? That's a clue. Um, Is it just real stiff? and doesn't want to move its neck very much. Uh, That's another one. Uh, And and next, and the other question is, are there neurological symptoms? Um, Because necks can be, there can be wobblers. Um, There can be osteoarthritis at the base of the neck which can cause arthritis, and there can be completely separate issues, such as EPM, okay? And you've got to sort that out from a diagnostic standpoint as to which one of those it probably is. Um, so once you've done that, you've run your EPM test, you've, you've kind of looked at the horse in detail, you've radiographed the neck, um, now you're ready to say, oh, well, there's pretty significant arthritis happening in these dorsal articular facets in the neck. Uh, I'm concerned about that. Or um, there, there's nothing, but the horse's is neurological. Well, now you've got to start thinking about other things. Um, so, But let's say, like we did with the back here, let's give it a diagnosis. We've We've saw it stiff to one side. The owner is complaining of poor performance, and and that is the most common thing that they will come in and talk to you about. Is gee, the horse just doesn't perform the way it used to. So, all right, poor performance is our problem. It's stiff to one side of the neck. Uh, it seems limited that way. Uh, we've x-rayed the neck. There is, without a doubt, arthritis there. And now we're, we're back to where we were in the back. What are we going to treat? It with? For years, we treated these with cortisone. Okay. And it, it, cortisone is still very effective. Okay. And again, on orthopedic problems and joints and, and axial skeleton like this, corticosteroid is still the gold standard. So anything you, else you want to use, you need to compare it to cortisone because cortisone is the gold standard. But what we started appreciating as we did this is, gosh, cortisone's kind of short-lived in these cases, be it back, be it neck. It just doesn't last that long. It, it lasts longer in joints in distal limb joints. Um, so doesn't last all that long in axial skeleton, that's disappointment. And another thing I remember, no one ever told me this, but I sure learned it. Um, you've diagnosed this, let's say the horse came in bucking, um, you got everybody off of it, you've injected it, you've brought it back, uh, you put a rider back up on it, things are going well, now you're two, three months down the road. Come back in Monday morning. I get a phone call. Hey, you know that horse you treated? It bucked that same girl off yesterday. Um, oh, wow, that's disappointing. That didn't last all that long. I can't can't really inject this horse every two months. Um, yeah. So we started looking for things that lasted longer. And this group of products called the orthobiologics showed promise that way, is that they lasted longer, uh, particularly in the axial skeleton. Um, And so we started actually um, uh, a paper we still have in publication, we presented a poster of it um, to North American Regenerative Meeting And what that's about is comparing the use of cortisone to the use of an orthobiologic, such as PRP or alpha-2 macroglobulin into the articular processes of the back. And honestly, when we were collecting the data, we did it on the neck too, but then we go, this is gonna become you know, war and peace of papers. (laughs) Uh, It's huge, there's too much data. And so we just cut it to the back. And that the neck is still, that data is still sitting there waiting for us to do this. What we did was compare it. And we found a really interesting study uh, that was done in China. And they did theirs, we did ours retrospectively. We went back and looked at the data. Um, they did theirs prospectively. They called people in and they said, we're either gonna give you a placebo injection of saline, or we're gonna give you cortisone, or we're gonna give you an orthobiologic. You don't know which you're gonna get. okay? And so then what happened was, Gosh, the cortisone and the orthobiologics both got better. Cortisone actually worked quicker, as you would kind of expect. Mm -hmm. Um, Orthobiologic took a little while to get going, but then it kept going. And what we saw were these graph lines cross in that the cortisone worked very fast and then started dipping down. At about two three months, orthobiologic crossed that line and kept going up. And so, in the humans, they had run this study for about six to nine months, and what they found was, gosh, you know the the line on the orthobiologic is still going up, improving, uh, while the cortisone is back down to baseline. Uh, So, we set about. We made that our hypothesis, and then we set about proving it, and we proved it. Um, And so, it's very interesting. I suspect it's going to be the same on the next um, that orthobiologics work better. They're more expensive to use. They're more expensive to generate uh, than taking a vial of cortisone out of my truck. Yeah, Um, but. They last much longer, in some cases, years. I mean, I have cases I've injected backs and axial skeletons, necks on. I've never done it again. Wow. So it it's fairly impressive how long they can last. Now, uh, like everything, it doesn't do that for every horse, but it does it for the majority of them uh, and lasts a long period of time. Uh, so... We're in the midst of publishing that paper, uh, but the the poster basically proved our point. Um, So it's back to what I talked about, which is make sure you break the pain spasm cycle. And that is a very effective way to break the pain spasm cycle. Now, like I say, um, you know, shockwave and say kissing spines, um, that probably works as well as anything. And then for those one or two or three really bad kissing spine cases we get here that will not respond to, to shockwave and medicine therapy and us trying to inject them, um, those cases will send on to surgery. But The vast majority of them, we can manage them medically. Um, And so to me, that's important to realize because it's a lot to ask these horses to do this back procedure. It's you're sawing a piece of their dorsal spinous process off and it is not easy on them and it takes them months to recover. In which case, again, the muscle atrophy is happening. so you know if we can we treat them medically um but if we can't we know that surgery is an option um the so we've now diagnosed our case we have treated it and and back to i told you i had that one slide that had the four longer-lived mm-hmm. things. And so what those were were shockwave, um, injection into the articular processes, and also the facets of the neck, exactly the same. Um, and then the the third is a technique called mesotherapy. And mesotherapy is a technique where you inject um, Sterile water uh, with a little bit of cortisone and a little bit of local anesthetic. And there are nerves right under the skin. This only works in the axial skeleton, okay, Mm -hmm. neck or back. And you can inject that fluid right under the skin. The reason it's called mesotherapy, meso means middle. Mm -hmm. So the therapy is the middle part of the skin and you see the bumps raise up as you do this therapy, it is interrupting that sensory nerve um, that's carrying that pain. So it doesn't care what the problem is. It's going after the nerves. These nerves will regrow in time, but this is another tool to make it work. And commonly we will use it in conjunction with shockwave. shockwave. the way it's working is it's actually downregulating the nerve receptors in the arthritic bone from either kissing spines or articular process osteoarthritis. And then the last one, the fourth one, is a bisphosphonate. And so in the United States, you have two choices of bisphosphonate, either children or um um, children has the advantage of there's a paper out there that shows that it does work. It's done by Professor Denois. Um, and osphos, again, is a bisphosphonate. You would think it would work in the same manner, but there's not a paper proving it yet. Uh, hopefully, there will be more research in that. Um, so Those are the four most common ones that we use for treating necks and back, and I would um, I I would tell you there was also another paper that was done uh, on necks that I I should mention. And necks again, we'll get a horse come in and it's got mild to moderate neurological disease. Now in the United States because of the presence of EPM, particularly in the eastern half of the United States, we're gonna assume it's probably EPM and we're gonna go test for it. Um, When the titers come back low, then you either need to look for a different reason for it, or you need to say, okay, we missed the EPM diagnosis. We may have to go do a lumbosacral tap and see if it's in the cerebrospinal fluid. But the other possibility, and this is what a practitioner proved, um, he actually did his uh, board certification in medicine over here in the United States. Then he went back home to England and he took a hundred courses with mild to moderate osteoarthritis, or sorry, mild to moderate neurological disease. And then he x-rayed them to say, okay, do they have arthritis? And he took 100 of them that had arthritis of the neck, and then he injected all the, this is before orthobiologics became prevalent, um, he injected them with cortisone, which, like I say, works. Um, And what he found was 75% of them got better. The mild to moderate neurological symptoms cleared up. Those horses were fine again. So my takeaway from that paper was um, that's really important because if you have a mild to moderate neurological horse and it doesn't look like it's EPM or some other um, neurological disease, then you need to think about arthritis at the base of the neck. And if that's the case, exactly what we've just been talking about in the back, guided injections with PRP into those facets is very effective, very. Um, And we'll get these horses back, give them their career back, um, you know, when people thought, oh, I, I can't even ride this horse anymore. These horses no. will come back and do quite well. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah. And, and it's fascinating paper because, again, it goes directly to what our concerns are with axial skeleton problems. You know, what else are they affecting? And in the neck, they're affecting nerves. In the back, remember, that you know we all talk about because we're human and we're we're bipeds that stand vertically, <clears throat> we talk about disc problems, but horses don't really have disc problems per se, not of the nature that we think about, because again, they're quadrupeds uh, with the spine being that long you know kind of horizontal structure. Mm-hmm in the middle of the horse. And so what they have is bony problems. And then to a lesser extent, um, they have saddle fit, um, soft tissue. But again, the soft tissue problems in the back, even like they are with us. Yeah, they're horrible when they happen, but gosh, 99% of the time, three weeks later, they're gone. So um, I think you can't hang your hat on soft tissue problems, nerve problems in the back. It's more bony in the neck. It's bony, but it affects the nerves. Um, That's the difference. And then, like I say, um, what all these things work, but recently I can tell you the game changers would be, PRP, alpha two macroglobulin, something like that, injected into these articular processes or sets in the neck, articular processes in the back. And you can make dramatic changes in these
0: horses. That's and that's great. Okay. Well, wow, that is that was a lot. I, I wish I could listen to a whole day of you teach on that one, because I, I've i seen so many horses that have uh, been given up on because of some of the issues you described. And it's like, well, today they they might be able to get back and and get back into it. So.
1: I, I would agree with you. I, I look back at cases I've had in, in my past as a practitioner and realize, wow, I wish I had known uh, that I could have made the change and I wish I'd have had these products to treat them with because I like I could have changed their career yeah.
0: and that that's that's it, it's interesting but now you know, veterinarians do have these tools, not only to diagnose, but to treat. So that's that's great. And anyway, thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining me on this episode of Disease Du I've, I have learned a lot today, and I'm sure our listeners have too. And a special thanks to our 2023 sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for allowing us to have these conversations. And we invite our listeners to go back and listen to uh, Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at K Brown. that's the letter K brown at equinnetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is part of the Horse Radio Network, the leading podcast network for horse lovers worldwide and a division of Equine Network.